today's episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I interview Preem Kumar. Preem takes his experience from large companies as well as startups to improve the hiring experience for both the company and the candidate. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's edition of the Hustle the Day podcast. I am very fortunate to be joined today by Preem Kumar. I want to say thank you, first of all, for coming on and uh, taking some time out of your day to uh, jump on the Hustle of the Day podcast. Very excited to hear from you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so I want to get started, of course, with uh, those people who aren't familiar with you. Give us a little background on who Preem is and uh, uh, what what your kind of story is and where you, where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a Seattle guy, um, father of, of two. Um, I've been uh, spending most of my career in, in technology. So worked at Microsoft for about 10 years, uh, mainly people data uh, type technologies. So helping with HR tech, with recruiting, always kind of had that entrepreneurial hustling spirit. Um, so I was kind of an intrapreneur at Microsoft, taking on a bunch of different roles for a while. Um, but, you know, after having my, my first kid, it kind of just a uh, little bit of fire. And I decided to go out into the startup world, um, work at a company called Tiny Pulse, and then in July, um, begin full time at, at my own company called Humanly. Very cool. Uh, and I appreciate that you brought up the entrepreneurship because I, I have interviewed some people who are entrepreneurs. Yep. You know, I'm interested in uh, getting stories from anybody who's yep. uh, just out there hustling and it doesn't yep. necessarily have to be an entrepreneurship thing. But um, yep. with, with you, obviously, you've, you've done a little bit of both, which is very cool. Um, so I want to ask you, who was the most influential person on you today? Who I guess who was most influential throughout your life to make Preem who you are today? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think in the past I've kind of picked uh, athletes, musicians, authors, but I, I think when I when I really think about it, it you know it's it's family and it's my parents. Uh, uh, everyone has great great stories in their family, and I think mine mine inspired me specifically. By dad, for example, uh, you know he was has kind of the, the typical uh, immigrant story where he was in India and he wanted to uh, wanted to go to school here in the U.S., uh, but this was before the internet, so he didn't have any applications. So he literally went, went door to door and he found a USC application. So he filled, wow. uh, filled out an application to the University of Southern California and he got in, the rest is history. And, um, and then my mom um, has, has been a big inspiration to me as well. Um, actually, she was she was definitely a hustler in a lot of ways, and, and that uh, that helped me. She was all, always working hard, um, always there for us. So yeah, I d- definitely say say my family, and now it's the kids and wife. Yeah, for sure. That's that's great though that you have that background. Um, you know, your dad going door to door. That's really cool to try <laughs> and try and get that application, and and your mom hustling as well. That's very cool. It's always helpful to have that influence growing up to to uh make make it a little bit easier in in your life to know what is expected of people absolutely to become the best person you want to be so uh, so you talked a little bit about being an entrepreneur um and then having kids kind of kind of changed that a little bit but how is it that you decide that you want to become an entrepreneur um yeah i feel like i've always kind of had that 
desire to make impact. And, and you don't have to be an entrepreneur to make impact, but I found in, in the ways that, that I wanted to, um, I wanted that kind of freedom. And, you know, I always felt like I was working on something on the side and always had something going. Um, so, you know, I kind of always just had that desire and, um, and at Microsoft I had a lot of opportunities to, um, do that internally. So whether it was, you know, writing papers about employee engagement, even though my job was in something totally different or, um, you know, going out and forming uh, groups within Microsoft that we were working on special projects. So I kind of had that entrepreneur sense, but, you know, I kind of wanted to do it on my own. Um, and uh, so I eventually, uh, when I had my first kid, my son, um, he's four years old now, um, but when he was born, it kind of made me realize that the, the time is ticking and um, I, I want him to to see me, uh, you know, really pursue my dreams. And, and to me, it, it was going out and doing my own thing. So I worked at a great company, Tiny Pulse, which is more of a startup uh, for a while. And then um, eventually uh, began my own company um, after I had my second kid. So maybe it took two to fully, fully make the jump. But <laughs> well, you were taking, taking baby steps much like yeah. them, right? You were yes, exactly. going from the secure job to the startup to your own thing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of the opposite of maybe what people should do when they're, when they're having more kids, but anyways, it worked no, out. No, I, I understand. <laughs> I, I've, I've been there each time. It seems like that I have a kid. It's been a, a transition for me uh, from one thing to another. It's always, whenever I have a kid, a new job or new company starts or something. So I, I understand where you're coming from on that. Yep. Um, so going through this experience, what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Yeah. Um, lots of failures. I I think initially actually, um, my biggest failures had to do with not learning enough from my failures. So just kind of Mm. moving on or pretending it didn't happen or forgetting it. Um, so I, I think initially, I think building that that muscle to to kind of learn and grow from failures and not just pretend they didn't happen, I think was something I learned over time. Um, specifically, um, yeah, when, when I was at Microsoft, um, I was working on a um, an HR project internally, and um, we were testing uh, the program, and the program basically stored a bunch of employees' data. So everyone that worked at Microsoft, their data was stored within this program. So I was doing some testing and I didn't realize I was actually touching the real production system. And I changed my, changed my first name in the system to, to test because I was doing a test and it ended up uh, changing it in every system in Microsoft for the, so for the next three months and my, whenever I emailed (laughs) anyone, whenever someone sent me like a billing thing, it had test Kumar on there. So that was a definitely an embarrassing failure because it, lived with me every time I corresponded with anyone. Um, I, I think what, what that taught me is just, to, you know, I, I think with, with any kind of tech, uh, there's, you're always encouraged to move fast. Uh, Facebook says like, move fast and break stuff is what they used to tell their engineers. They change that now. But um, I, I think um, the, the lesson there is that um, even something that's as crazy and embarrassing, you can kind of turn into to something that's, that's funny and and, and next time I next time I did something like that, I'm much more careful on how I test things. So that's another just th- tidbit. <laughs> I would imagine that would uh, make you think twice about uh, making changes in their system. But yeah, <laughs> uh, that's I really like how you how you put that. Not learning enough from your failures. Yeah, um, yeah. 
honestly, I, I'm guilty of that myself, you know, going mm-hmm. through those failures. Sometimes they're embarrassing. You just want to skirt past them and move on to the next thing. So yep. that's very good. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that down because that's, <laughs> that's something I need to remember. Yep. Um, so since this is the Hustle the Day podcast, I do want to hear how you would personally define the word hustle. Yeah, like I, I kind of, we, we were talking about sports a little bit before before this, um, and I had sports on my mind after watching uh, the, the Seahawks game this weekend. I'm in Seattle yeah. here. But um, when I think, for some reason, when you ask me that question, I think of running backs in, in the NFL, and specifically when you're getting hit, but you keep your legs moving and you're constantly moving forward. I think in those times where you can have breaks or pockets of, of um, maybe – not moving or just constantly moving. So I think that's kind of how I, how I define hustle, just, just constantly doing something. And it doesn't always have to be the most productive thing in the world, but you're constantly moving your mind forward, your, your body forward, your, your life forward. So that's kind of how I define hustle. Very cool. I really like that a lot. You know, I like the visual aspect of that because, you know, you can imagine a running back getting hit and still just pushing forward in spite of all the odds. And so, that's that's very cool. I like that. Um, so you've you're starting a business, or you you have been starting a business here recently. Um, what's something that uh, somebody who's starting a business today? What's one thing that they should be doing every single day? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, so. One thing is always, uh, and, and this is common advice, but it's really true. Is just n- never thinking you can't do something. Like I've had people wondering, oh, how am I going to start a business. I have a family. How am I going to get insurance? I don't have, I need the paycheck, but you know, you can find ways to go out and raise money or, so I think just constantly not feeling like you have to be an expert in, in something to do it. Um, so doing whatever you, you think needs to be done to grow the business. And, and I, I guess it kind of comes down to not being fearful. So maybe each day just conquering something that you were scared to do. Um, the day before. Um, because I think what you find in that process is as cliche as it sounds, I mean, you, you can do anything. There's, there's so many different things, especially in this day and age where you can, um, I was looking at a story about a guy who was in the military for four years and he had, he had come out and he realized, Hey, I I just have a 10th grade education. It's tough to get a job. And he just went on YouTube every day and learned how to do stuff and got a job out of that. So I think, um, just constantly, um, having that mindset that you can do what you want to do and then the resources are there to help you make it happen. So I know that's not like a specific answer, but that's kind of what I think about. No, that's a, that's a fantastic answer. Um, there are a lot of resources out there for sure. Um, so there really are no excuses, honestly, to be able to mm-hmm. not learn something. Um, and, uh, I was talking with somebody yesterday who's going to be on, on the podcast in the future, but, um, uh, I was just talking to him about, you know, some of those things, conquering those fears and doing something mm-hmm. new each day. And, um, uh, he, he brought up an interesting point. He's like, once you start tackling these things, you start doing these things that you didn't think you can do before you realize your bandwidth actually increases. It seems like mm, yep. you can, mm-hmm. when you didn't think you could do, you know, this programming language, you'd do it. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well, it's easy to learn this one now. And your, yeah, your yeah. bandwidth increases. So. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it just 
you know, goes back to just starting it, right? Once you start doing it, um, you can eventually finish it. And like you said, I do think your bandwidth increases when you accomplish stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's very cool. I appreciate that. So one thing uh, you've you touched on a little bit that I want to talk to you about is um, time management. So you've got mm-hmm. two young kids, you're, mm-hmm. you're starting a company. How do you manage your time? How do you, how do you balance that? Yeah, so it's definitely you, you realize you have less time. So I feel you become more focused. Um, and, and so at least I've become a little more focused because I, I know that when I get home, there's a window where we're doing dinner and when we're doing family time where, um, you know, you need to cut out the extra noise and then maybe you can work later at night or before. So I think just focusing on the time you do have. Um, I was looking at this thing from uh, the, the CEO of Slack, uh, the founder of Slack, Stuart Butterfield. And he was, he actually encourages employees to leave early, leave on time. He, he thinks that so much more can be accomplished in a regular workday than people think if you, if you just really, really focus. So I think learning to use the time that you do have to, to have, have more focus is important. Um, and, and part of that is being planful, like how, how you spend your time, um, you know, maybe compartmentalizing like, Hey, I'm using 30 minutes for this and I'm going to take a two minute break and 30 minutes for this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, and there's little like tactical thing. Like one thing I've been using, I mentioned this actually on, a, on another podcast, but, um, my former CEO at tiny pulse taught me this, which is I'll go to Starbucks and I, I won't take my power cord for my laptop with me. So I know I have ah. exactly how, how much time until the computer dies. And it's just that time pressure and that urgency and that's also, I think, created with kids where if I know I have to be home by six or something like that, um, I, I will make sure that I, I am very careful. And other things are, you know, I think cutting out stuff that um, is a drain. Um, um, so, for example, um, I was a part of like five fantasy football leagues. So now, wow. I'm, now, I'm, <laughs> now I have to, I've actually now cut it down to zero, but I had to cut it down to one. Um, I think just stuff like that. that and socializing is very important but i think just being smart about how you how you spend that time and what's draining your time um one one exercise i've used it's like a pie chart exercise where i'll kind of draw a pie chart and say in an average week this percent's going to this this percent's going to this this percent's going to this and then have where i want it to be and usually if you put it over it it's like i wanted to spend a lot more time with family but i was spending you know more time in my commute so um Mm -hmm. i was uh beginning to uh, look at ways that I could change my commute around so that I'm only doing days where I come to the city in Seattle um, certain days and other days I'm closer to home, stuff like that. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I've, I went from one fantasy football league to zero, but <laughs> 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 yeah, I, one of the things that I've, I've pretty much cut out and honestly, I've never been big on video games in general, yeah. but I, cars are really my passion. So I'll play like Forza and things like that. And I've had to just kind of completely cut that out because there's, you realize how, how much more efficient you can be with 30 minutes here and 30 minutes there and really focused on that work. Yep, absolutely. And one thing, um, I speaking to the family aspect, um, you know, my, my family is very important to me as well. So mm-hmm. from like the hours of 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. when they go, when the kids go to bed, it's all about the family, focus yep. on them for most of the part. Sometimes, you know, the occasional meeting pops up where it interferes with that, but it's not, mm-hmm. 
it's something that I'm very focused on and I appreciate that you're you're focused on the family as well so yeah one, one thing I'll add to that too is like one, one thing that actually helped me a lot is just you know putting the phone away and or turning off notifications and, and as long as you're you've set expectations with your team and and let them know that, hey, during these hours, if it's an r- emergency, like call my house phone or whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can leave a channel open for emergencies. But, um, you know, I think as long as expectations are set, because I think a lot of time, times when people are distracted, when they're trying to focus and they're at home, it's because they, it's almost because they feel someone else needs something or they don't want to disappoint someone or they, because the, the individual work you can get done before. So a lot of times it's someone else distracting you. So I think if you are able to really set those expectations with the team, it goes, goes a long way. Absolutely. Uh, so for me, since I'm a one man team, I have to set the expectations with yeah, myself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, which can be just as hard, but yeah, it, it, it certainly can be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, humanly and what, what, uh, you do with what humanly does. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're an AI platform for mid-sized companies. So we qualify job candidates. So we take that, you know, 300 resumes that the average, the average job in the U S gets 150, but we're targeting high volume roles that get about 300. So we take that, um, automate a process to go through them and then give recruiters the, the, the smaller list. Um, and then we also improve the candidate experience along the way. So we feel that, you know, if hiring teams had unlimited time, money, and resources, every candidate interaction would, would start with a conversation. And right now, like 90 something percent of people never hear back. Um, recruiters are spending tons of time just screening through resumes. Um, so yeah, we're trying to solve that kind of time savings problem as well as the candidate experience problem. Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, when we were talking before we started recording the, the candidate experience is becoming a big deal too, right? Yep. Yeah. A lot of companies are starting to spend more on employer brand. Um, yeah, it's right now, um, there's a study, I, I want to say it was from Glassdoor, but it was from one of the sources saying that about 64% of uh, candidates have a negative experience. Um, but what's changed now is I think candidates have all, always had a fairly bad experience. It's not a very, there's not much um, equity in the process. But but now 72% of candidates that have a bad experience are actually sharing that online. So they're going mm-hmm. on Glassdoor, they're going on Facebook. So it's hurting employer brand. And when I, you know, when I've been a hiring manager, we love candidates coming in that have read about other candidates reviews online. So I think it's really important to create that. And, and not just because you don't want a negative review, but you know, if you are in, if you have 300 resumes come through and you just hire one person, you still have the opportunity to create a great experience for 299 people that you've paid with your time and money to draw to your, to apply. Um, because those people might be a customer later. They might be your next hire. They might, um, you know, they, they, they might be a candidate again. So I think, um, you know, really investing time in that. And also um, from a, you know, a bias and equity standpoint, um, that, that example I gave of, of the soldier who had spent four years in the military and came back, I mean, he probably doesn't have the traditional stuff that people look for on a resume, but um, seeing beyond that and seeing kind of skill set based uh, is, is very important, and it goes to you know gender equality. A lot, lot of different types of bias is happening in recruiting. So I think that's another way to make the candidate experience better, and that's what we're trying to trying to solve for. Yeah, and you also mentioned you know they 
making it more equitable where, you know, even if they don't necessarily have the right degree, but they do have the right skill set that does, that does factor into that as well. Yeah. So we, um, we did uh, some research when we were, before we were starting this and we took a group of recruiters and I gave them a stack of uh, 30 resumes and I had them just highlight what they look at um, with their normal process before they decide if, if they're going to move forward or not. And they'd spend um, on average, and, and these were, um, you know, it's not that they, they were bad recruiters, they're just really busy, but you know, you spend about two to three seconds looking at a resume and you're looking at things that like, the where they went to college, their name, um, and maybe their last experience, but you're really not learning about that person. And I feel the only way you can learn about that person is to meet with them, ask them questions. That's you don't have time to do that for 300 people. So we're we're hoping that technology can fill in some gaps, and we're not um, solving. We're, our goal is not to replace people by any means. We're trying to make the the recruiters more efficient so that we can get the right candidate to a person faster. Not 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 get them to a person yeah yeah make it more efficient mm-hmm. um one thing you mentioned uh, a little bit back is you know the the person could be the next hire yeah. and i think uh, i think a lot of the hiring process is very short-sighted very mm-hmm. who can i get in here now it's not the long-term process and by improving the candidate experience i think you're really improving the the odds of getting the right person later down the road for an expanded role yeah, and it's so, and it's also much more efficient if you've already kind of you already know a little bit about them. They're in your per- you don't have to go through all this stuff again. It's kind of like I often think if if recruiters had the, the tools to treat candidates like salespeople treat prospects, it would be much better. So with sales folks, if you have a hundred people, maybe one person buys now, but you're following up every day with all the rest of the people because maybe they'll buy later, or maybe they'll be a a fit down the road. Um, and I found in HR technology and in talent acquisition, there's not as much, the, the tools aren't quite there yet. It's beginning over the last couple of years, uh, there's been a lot of cool stuff happening here, last five years, I'd say. But um, I, I think it's just getting started to, to kind of equip recruiters the same way that marketing and sales folks are equipped. Yeah, very cool. So what, what made it so you decided to start this company? What was your experience that made you think this is yeah. a need? Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, one is just as a candidate. So um, when I, I graduated from the University of Washington here in Seattle, um, had a bunch of companies I wanted to work for. One in particular, I won't, won't name names, one in particular big tech company I really wanted to work for and um, horrible candidate experience. I never heard anything back. And, you know, I had some friends that did hear back, some that didn't. It just seemed, seemed so random. Um and, uh, you know, to this day, when recruiters from that company s- send me a LinkedIn message, I still have that experience, like, in my mind. And it, it, so, I, so I think having a bit negative candidate experience. And then on the flip side of it, um, when I started working at Tiny Pulse, um, you know, I started realizing that, um, so we talked to a lot of, uh, Tiny Pulse was solving a different problem, employee engagement. We talked to a lot of companies that were hiring. And uh, my co-founder was in sales at Tiny Pulse, and he just kept hearing more and more folks that just had this problem around candidate experience, problem around efficiencies in recruiting. And it's not like it's not like hiring teams want to create a bad candidate experience; they just don't have time. So I think you have to solve that efficiency problem first. But we started hearing a lot of customers just talking about it. So 
I ended up doing, you know, a bunch of interviews, talking to whoever I could in Seattle that's in the recruiting space and in San Francisco as well, and um, put them all in a spreadsheet and kind of counted up where their pain points were. And we kind of identified a, a smaller problem we're now targeting for specific industries when it comes to efficiencies and candidate experience. Um, and then generally, I've, um, you know, I've always wanted to create impact at scale. And I think uh, entrepreneurship, as you know, is, is one way of doing that. Yeah, for sure. And um, we talked a little bit before we started recording about my experience. I've had awful candidate experiences as well yeah. <laughs> and can speak of specific companies in, in the tech space as well, where it's like, yeah, I just don't feel like ever going down that road. Fortunately, yeah. you know, entrepreneurship is more of my calling. And so I, yep. I hopefully don't have to go down that road, but I may have to use, you know, humanly in the future for hiring, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So starting up this company, um, what has it been like raising capital for it? That's all my company experiences typically have not involved raising capital. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. from a personal standpoint on that. Yeah. So the first thing, and I don't necessarily know if this is the best way to start, but I started almost like academically by reading about it. So I read books like uh, Angel by Jason Calacanis, which I recommend and um, a, a lot of books, but I realized that, you know, that the theory is one thing you just have to go out and do it. And um what I found is, you know, so Seattle, and I, I've kind of spent some time in Seattle and in the Bay Area, so I can also kind of, there's some differences. And um, obviously, in other states, there's also in other cities and states, there's differences as well. But um, what I found is cities that have a pretty decent ecosystem, once you meet a few angel investors or VCs, people are actually generally helpful. Um, they'll, they're not going to kick you out of the room and, and, and never talk to you again. You know, it's not like shark tank or something, but, um, so they'll, they'll make intros to other folks. I felt you can quickly build a network. So I think network building is the, is the number one thing, just making sure that you're getting out there talking to as many investors and then repeating the pitch as much as you can. So there's, you know, a lot of material out there around how to get your, your pitch right. Um, and you need like different formats of it. Like one you'll present one, one that you'll give to someone in an Uber if they're talking to you, one that you'll give. Um, so I think just having that, being really methodical about that. Um, and then being really structured. Like I, one, the biggest mistake I made in fundraising is I initially had the mindset that I was lucky that people were wanting to give me money. And you actually have to flip that when you're fundraising and think about that, hey, you're giving them an opportunity to make a ton of money. And um, you're Time is very valuable. So that was kind of went against my kind of natural um, way of going about it. But but that helped me a lot. And then being really structured. So creating that FOMO and saying, hey, you know, we and, and being real about it, you're not making stuff up, but have a timeline saying, hey, we have two months, we have one month, we have four weeks where we want to close and close this round. We're talking to X, X, Y, and Z folks already, or you don't have to name names, or you can say we're talking to a few investors already. Um, and we need your decision by this time period. So I think um, really applying that kind of project management rigor has been helpful. Um, and then the other one is just obviously knowing your business and knowing the numbers very well. Um, even if you don't have the pitch perfect, people can tell when you know your stuff. So I think um, really getting that right um, is good. Um, and then the part that I, I didn't know anything about was the 
kind of the financial side of it. So the different types of funding vehicles, like you can get investment in the form of a, what's called a convertible note or in the form of a safe. And I think just knowing those financial, uh, not just the lingo, but how they work and what's most beneficial to you. Um, because they're, they're going to expect you to be able to talk the talk. Otherwise you might get in trouble. So you might get a bad deal or something. So, um, and then it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like it's also, it's not that hard once you do all those things. So I, I think some people just think of it as some pie in the sky thing that's impossible. Um, other thing I'll mention is fundraising, um, isn't always the right thing to do. So like you had mentioned, you're an entrepreneur, you didn't need to fundraise. And I would say it's actually, if you can make it work without taking money, it's probably better because then you don't owe people money and you don't owe, you don't give away part of your company. So really think about in some cases, if you're trying to build a really large company, you will need capital. Uh, so I think just knowing what your, what your goals are, what you need, um, don't assume you need fundraising. And if you don't need it, don't take it until you do. Okay. So I wouldn't say I didn't necessarily need it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would yeah, say yeah. <laughs> it's just not a path that I, I have personally gone down. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you, like you mentioned, you made it seem a lot less, uh, for the lack of a better term, scary than it, it probably most people think it is. Yeah. As long as you know your stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so what's, what's the future plan for humanly? Yeah. So, I mean, over the next, uh, so right now our focus is around growth. So we've uh, had some really exciting results from our first 10 customers. And the goal is to to grow that um, next year and get as many customers as we can. I think one thing from a product standpoint, that's really interesting to me is to change a couple things. One is how people think of that first interaction with candidates. So being able to create that large scale, you know, conversation that everyone has, um, you know, moving away from traditional things like how resumes are used. That's kind of another big thing we're looking at changing, um, changing what success looks like. So I, I don't think success means that for success for a recruiter or hiring team means that someone was hired. I think it means that they were hired and they also have a really strong impact through their career at the company. So a high, employee lifetime value. So building the tools and the and the tech and the data to be able to tell that story is another one. Um, and then there's a lot, um, a lot of other things I kind of just see happening in the space that I think is going to be important for us to focus on. But I, I think about 30 to 40% of current HR related tasks will be automated. Um, our focus is over the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I, I don't think our focus is in automating tasks. Ours is in automating that initial, those interactions and conversations. But those are some of the, some of the things I, I see happening, changing that first touch point, um, changing what success looks like, um, and then kind of moving away from traditional things like the resume. Okay. Well, I, I like that you, that you have the goal of changing what success looks like because to a lot of companies, it is that initial hire. You know, that's, we did it all done don't need to worry about it after that until they have a problem again and they need to hire again yeah and it kind of goes also like i I draw a lot of parallels to sales and when i think about candidate experience and you know if you sell someone something and if if you have a you know a, a SaaS business you sell someone something and and but then they leave after a month or leave after two months um you're not really getting a high um customer lifetime value out of them and 
you're over the course of a year, you're not, it's, it's better to sell it for less to someone else. And maybe they stay with you for a year. And, you know, I think in, in employee engagement and, 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 and hiring, I, I don't think it's necessarily about keeping people uh, for 10 years, five years, but it's maximizing what they get out of the company and you get out of them in the time they stay. So hiring them, reducing the time it takes them to onboard, it can take, sometimes it takes about a year for someone to be fully acclimated into a new role at a big company. If you can reduce that, um, you know, and you keep them engaged, you might get a ton more out of them um, than you would someone staying for five years, even if, if they weren't um, you know, fully engaged and, and had a shorter cycle time at the beginning. But so there's a lot of different factors at play there. Yeah. It sounds like it's uh, largely though going to be a mindset shift, uh, which mindset is huge in, in the entrepreneurial wor- world, but how do you get a large company to change their mindset? Um, yeah. Um, being on a lot of podcasts and talking about <laughs> it. Uh, um, no, I think uh, when you're trying to change, change mindset, yeah, the part of it is, spreading the word, but you also have to kind of start with what they have. So our goal is not to create a system that sits on the side that you have to sign into a new tool. We integrate with all the existing systems people use. Um, So I think particularly in HR technology and in a lot of technologies, you kind of start by getting into the system and and improving it by quite a bit, but not necessarily. um, And there are examples of great companies that have changed the entire game, like, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn, but it's a lot harder to do that. So our, our goal is, um, you know, starting by working with the existing workflows and processes um, and creating this more, more engagement at the front end. Um, and then um, eventually um, being part of this, what we feel will happen is a, is a shift in how people are actually doing hiring. And whether we create that or not, we that, that's what we believe will begin to happen. So we're, we're trying to be part of that, that wave. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I definitely look forward to that, to that mindset shift happening and, you know, increasing that, uh, or improving that experience rather, um, for mm-hmm. both the company and for the end user, the, the one applying. So you mentioned, uh, changing a resume, what it, what it is now versus mm-hmm. what, you think it should be in the future? What what do you have uh, or what do you expect resumes to change to? Yeah, so there's some, um, so the extreme way of thinking and is, is no resume. So like companies like Facebook right now, I went through their process and um, they, uh, and it, this isn't for all hires at Facebook, but I think for experienced hires, they just look at your LinkedIn and then the rest is based on the interview. So, um, and I think if, companies had unlimited time, they would, um, they would interview, if, if you could uh, concurrently interview 300 people all at the same time, you probably would rather do that than read through a bunch of resumes and interview them and then screen them and whatnot. Um, so I think by having tools to allow you to get out to more people quickly and narrow that list down, you're going to be able to maybe spend less time having to look at resumes. So I, I think, um, I think you are starting to see some companies abandoning resumes. Um, and I actually do think like the, a paper resume and, and ha- you know, the, the, that sort of thing will, will change. Like I think people will have profiles online right now, LinkedIn, actually, it's still, even though many professional people have it, there's still a very small percentage of job candidates in the world or even in the U S um, have updated LinkedIn profiles and the ones, yeah, the ones that have profiles aren't always updated. So I don't think LinkedIn's totally solved that problem yet, but, but I do think you'll start to see 
jobs finding you a little bit more than people going out submitting resumes to folks. And it all depends on industry and role and whatnot. Um, but um, so, so yes, I, I do see kind of some of that beginning to happen. Um, I also think there's some things that are beginning to be proven out to not be as important, like the five years of experience versus three is just a number if there's so much more beyond that. Um, and if you are able to actually have that conversation, talk to someone via technology or with a person, you start to realize what the true kind of 360 view of that person is where maybe the person with three has. So I, so I think um, people caring less about things in resumes like years of experience, like um, maybe where you went to school. Um, and I think what you'll see is that the data will show that in, in a lot of cases that the best candidate had something else that wasn't seen on that piece of paper. Um, but to, to answer your question, yeah, I do think the, the paper resumes and their current format will eventually go away. But in the interim, it'll maybe be a combination of resume, but also using technology to learn more about people. Very cool. Well, I'm, I'm a big supporter of this. Like just, <laughs> just talking to you, it's like, man, why, why hasn't this been, you know, why didn't this get started sooner? And uh, <laughs> it's, it's very cool. Uh, I was I was too busy uh, having my other kid to to start it sooner, but ne- ne- I, uh, next time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, um, I want to say I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day and yeah. being able to come on here and tell me a little bit about your story. And very cool. Like I said, I support what you're doing, and I'm very excited for you in the future. But I want to give you some time uh, to shout out any particular people, where people can find you, uh, where they can find out more information about your company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, you can check out our website at humanly, H-U-M-A-N-L-Y dot I-O. Um, you can also uh, look me up on Twitter at Prem Kumar Tweets or at Humanly HR. Um, and I don't have any shout out. I'll just give a shout out to my wife just for the heck of it. Uh, yeah. Laura, Kumar, <laughs> Laura Kumar for all her uh, support um, through this process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> my, my wife was asking, I've been on uh, some other uh, automotive podcasts. Like I mentioned, that's kind of yep. one of my passions. And she's like, uh, you know what? I don't know if I, if that's the kind of podcast I want to listen to with you on, it's like the hustle one. Yeah. You know, I'll listen to that. So good, good job throwing that out there in case the wife <laughs> tunes in to, to be able to hear that. So absolutely. Um, yeah, no, thanks for your time. Always great to talk to fellow entrepreneurs and I'm um, looking forward to being in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to shut this off and jump and start following you over on Twitter. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be engaging more in the future. So Awesome. I'll follow you back. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Preem. And uh, for all those out there that are listening, hope this provided some great value to you. I know it did for me. And get out there and hustle the day. Everybody, thanks for listening to the Hustle the Day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent V. Bray on Instagram or TrentVBray.com.